This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Vic Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Vic and you're listening to another episode here on the Mindful Experiment. As each week we release a podcast episode that we had the beautiful opportunity of interviewing someone, some wonderful individual doing some amazing things, shining their light and helping transform the world to raise a higher vibration and to help individuals really truly find and understand the this whole mindful experiment. Um, in this week, I had the distinct honor to interview Rob Scott. And it was a great interview. What a great guy. Um, I love where he comes from, from a mindset level, from a belief level and belief systems and so much more that we um, really gelled well in this podcast. And I was really excited to share this with you guys. You couldn't wait. It was really, really good. And we recorded this about a little bit a while ago, but um, he, you know, Rob is just, he's a guy who is a coach who truly just helps people shift and create dramatic breakthroughs. 
you know, and, and this is something that he does. He believes humanity has a core problem. He says, and, and most of the time he believes that most people have it also, and you don't even know it. And it's the limit of our current identity. And so we talk about that in the podcast. We dive deep into uh, that concept of the limit, limitations that we put on ourselves. How does that happen? And, and so much more. And he's really big about why we need to make a change in our identity. Um, he's an expert that helps people break through, change, and literally evolve their consciousness. Um, it's beyond mind shift, mindset shifting. He shifts your very identity, and he's a world-class at it, is what he states. And so you're going to hear that as we go through the podcast. We're going to talk about how he does it, how he shifts people, and so much more. He's going to share his story of what he went through to how he got to where he is and why that journey really helped him evolve and grow into the person that he was designed to be as he is today. So I'm really excited to share this with you guys. He is just doing amazing things um, and just helping individuals on so so many levels. So I want to be able to get not take his thunder anymore. So here is my wonderful interview I had with Rob Scott. Well, Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Glad to have you on. I'm excited to share some space with you. I've read your background, your story, and so much more, and so inspirational. And I, I just can't wait to share this with all the listeners and everyone um, <clears throat> here on the podcast. That's great, man. I'm excited to I'm excited to go through it with you. And as all my listeners know, when I'm ever interviewing somebody, there's always this question I love to start asking, and and that is just kind of how did you um, get into what you're getting you're into now? How did life kind of guide you along that way, or um, was it a, a were you kind of dictating to saying this is where I'm going and this is what I know what I'm gonna do and that's it, or was there some sort of process um, that led you to where you from where you were to where you are now? I think there's there's probably always a process, right? There's always some story of, of what led to it. Uh, in, in my case, I, I think what's usually helpful is to point out that, you know, as a, as a personal development coach, as somebody who really wants to help people evolve to higher and higher levels of being and uh, more and more capacity in their agency and their consciousness and their, you know, happiness and their success and all that, all that stuff, the real human flourishing, uh, I started out deeply dysfunctional. I went through a whole lot of abuse as a as a little guy. I was um, in some really seriously uh, bad abusive situations for quite a long time, and I ended up getting really addicted to. You know, I started using drugs and alcohol when I was like seven years old. So by the time I was into my teens and early twenties, I was uh, seriously dysfunctional. You know, not connected emotionally to. Uh, what safety and trust and some of these foundational um, senses of being are. And I was really self-medicating with, uh, you know, uh, addictive substances to feel better and to feel okay and to not feel like I should just be dead, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, what ended up happening was that led me to real serious dysfunction. So in and out of all kinds of institutions and halfway houses and rehabs and jails and all the things. And I ultimately had what I call a, a fundamental shift in my consciousness. And so I've, the business I run today is called Fundamental Shift. And what happened from that was I really woke up to how much of what was going on was in my own story, my own uh, patterns, my own uh, sense of identity that I was bringing with me. It was almost like dragging my past into every situation I was moving into. And so if I had the identity of I am a victim, you know, I 
found ways to manufacture or manifest, uh, you know, whatever word we like, finding ways to just continue to be victimized, to continue to have, you know, can you believe that that happened? Oh, I lost this again. Oh, you know, uh, whatever. And so I was, I was making that a, uh, a foregone conclusion. And what happened with the fundamental shift was I became differently aware of how that was happening in my mind and was then capable to put that down. And what I do with people is actually help them, you know, for lack of a better description, install a different way of being. But I, I didn't know quite how to do that yet. I just knew that if I were to remove the bad programming and wonder if I just showed up a little bit more, you know, closer to a blank slate, uh, what would happen? And I ended up going from homeless and incredibly dysfunctional to vice president of technology at a company uh, and just thriving just a, a handful of years later. And literally went from like being a temp filing papers in the basement up to, you know, being a worker and receiving phone calls to some level of tech thing to management to director to, you know, VP, et cetera. And so figuring out that path and what, what, work there was deeply meaningful. Uh, around the year 2005, I started to almost feel a calling to share some of those ideas because what I think I'd realized was the reason I was doing so well in management and these things is I was able to get really great results, not only out of myself, but out of other people. And I'd seen that part of this fundamental shift was it had teachable processes and uh, points of view and skills of attention and other things. And so I wanted to codify that. So I began talking about it on this podcast. And this is back when podcasts just came out. So almost nobody was podcasting and very few people were listening. But of the ones that were listening, uh, an oddly large amount started listening to some of my shows. And I started getting requests all over the world for coaching. And at first, it, I didn't understand what the request was. It was like, what's it cost to work with you? And I was like, what does that mean? You know, work with me. And, and I ended up talking about it with a close friend. Uh, who was actually my chiropractor at the time. And he uh, sort of turned into me, I guess he'd been listening to some of the shows and he said, I would hire you right now as a coach. You know, and what he got really honest with me about was his relationship was not where he wanted to be. Uh, I don't think his parenting was really where he wanted it to be. His business was not where he wanted it to be. And he really was ready to work on that. And so as soon as I got into that relationship with him, because I, I cared about him, I said, sure, let me work with you kind of on the side. Uh, it, he just had virtually immediate, profound changes from some of the moves that, that I'd come up with. And he was a connector. So he started to just funnel people to me. I didn't really have any problem kind of building the business of a coaching thing. And so I figured out a way to have an exit from the company I was at. And for you know, the last 14 or so years, I've been running this, uh, this company and developing it into what I call identity shifting, right? Which is this profound change in sense of self, meaning making, you know, skills of behavior, skills of emotional management. And it's, it's just a really robust process to help people deeply change and grow. I think that's, that, that's huge and it's very important for a lot of reasons because I think in society, would you agree that we have an identity issue that too many times people are trying to be someone else than themselves? Sure. And, you know, I think what is, because you went through, your story is very inspirational and, and, and the things you had to go through, I mean, those darknesses and those dark times, 
um, to really see and appreciate your light to make that huge shift. Um, what was it, you know, was it, was there something that you held on to? Was it just a belief? Was it, uh, was it just as simple as a perspective, um, to make a shift and just say, well, this is where I've been doing. This is where I'm at. I keep hitting rock bottom here. What if it's this, what if it's something different? Like what was that, that, that inner chatter you had that kind of propels you from one Avenue to the other? So it was a little more than just inner chatter. Um, and, and, but I, I, you said two really great words. You also said something, we have a, we have a cultural sort of, uh, I, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but you, you said something about um, on a societal level, we have a problem with identity. And you mentioned that a little bit of imposter, that sort of misrepresenting yourself from what you really are. That is a, an enormous problem. And you're very right. But I, I, I heard that differently and something else I'm, I'm thinking about and doing a lot of work in right now is that culturally we have identity problems. And if we think about the world functioning and where we have to go, because everything is a global issue these days, right? If we have a pandemic, it's a global thing. If we you know, mess with sustainability issues and you know, acidify the ocean, that's a global issue, right? There's no local issues anymore, really. You know, an issue of a nuclear war would be global, right? So we have to learn to function more globally and uh, more across cultures. And, and we can hold on to healthy national identities, etc. But we have a real crisis of cultural identity and national identity and even human identity that is a, a part of what shifts when we start to work with our own personal identity as well. And so all that stack of making a really functioning society uh, requires a really healthy level of selves doing it because even if you have great structure, great laws, uh, you know, great even a pointer of a cultural identity of maybe what the story of America is supposed to be or whatever, if you have bad actors in that, if you have dysfunctional narcissists or psychopaths or sociopaths or whatever functioning in that, you're gonna that that structure won't be enough to hold appropriately. And so where we really have agency to change, to ultimately change the world is to, you know, not to be trite with it, but to, to deeply and profoundly change ourselves. And, uh, and that, that change requires two of the things that you mentioned when you asked the actual question that you asked, which was, uh, is it beliefs or is it perspective? And actually both of those are wildly important, right? And so, um, the belief part is, is if I do anything, if I were to say very specifically what I do is I help people have a deeply different relationship with their belief structure so that they are not lost in um, wrong or unuseful or limiting beliefs that really hold them back. And so there's a mechanism which is part of the fundamental shift. It's part of seeing how you're making meaning very differently. And I can give more concrete examples of this, but uh, it, it truly is a belief shifting technology. And that sounds scary because people really like their beliefs in most cases. We want to, in fact, argue for our beliefs to be right. But if we're dysfunctional and if we, we may want to really hold on to these beliefs and hope that the world changes, but what you may find as we mature and we actually get really honest about what's going on for ourselves with our own procrastination or laziness or fear of failure or whatever the limits are that are holding us back, we can eventually realize it's actually us that needs to change. And it's some meaning making that we're doing that we're treating as true, which is what a belief is. To you, your beliefs feel accurate and true. And so the reason that personal development can be so difficult and that it's not just a game of willpower is that the meaning that you're making can leave you stuck in ways that you really can't see very well because it, it just seems factual. So, you know, really 
blatant example of that is somebody coming to me and really just telling me and arguing that they are, quote unquote, a loser, right? Rob, you don't understand. I'm just a loser. I am this, I'm that. And there's a ton of other subtle different examples of this. But, you know, there are people that uh, come to me with, I'm, I'm just not worthy. I'm not enough. I'm a loser. And so that fundamental framing, if taken as true, then is a lens that you're looking through across your entire life. And so, you know, a sales conversation, it's a loser who's showing up to do that. You know, uh, taking on a new hobby or skill, the ability to use your willpower in a new way to eat differently, whatever. There's this context of, I fail at stuff. I'm a loser, which will be almost set to certainly interact and interfere with your success. But uh, in many cases, just blatantly, you know, create real self-sabotage and real... Uh, dysfunction. So true. And, and how much does ego play a role? Because ego's job is to, you know, always keep supporting your beliefs, right? If you believe this, then ego's going to be like, okay, reticular activating system kicks in and says, all right, we're going to show you how this is true. How much does that like in that process play a role with everything? Uh, it's a great question. So I, I love all the, all the very specific things you're, you're pointing at because you're, you're getting right to the heart of it. I think that ego gets a bad rap in a lot of ways. So there, there, you know, I would, I would assume there's a ton of spiritual teachers out there that are telling us to transcend ego and, and get beyond ego and that ego is the center of desire and desire is the center of suffering and all these different things. And a dysfunctional ego is something you probably want to leave behind for sure. Uh, but what we really want to do is we want to transcend. We want to actually be able to get transcendence beyond self. And I can make that a little bit more tangible as well. But we want to be able to do that, which is deeply healthy and it leads towards flow states and awe states and deep states of gratitude and uh, what can sort of tend to be more of the spiritual rewards that people, you know, the tangible, you know, real experiential spiritual rewards of being a happy uh, human being, but also higher functions. So things like flow states and focus and all that stuff requires actually putting down some of that inner narrator, the narrative uh, that we might call what the ego's up to. But the reason that we don't want to just put it down is that it's, it's a really important function. It's actually the ego is sort of the center of the brain that's managing uh, sort of our unconscious and biological impulses like hunger and sex drive and desires and a lot of what's happening that's been patterned into maybe the unconscious that's just kind of coming up in our experience. The ego is managing what if that is okay. And if the ego's not healthily developed, it gets really out of whack. It might feel a ton of shame about very natural impulses or it might, uh, you know, miswire patterning and, you know, sort of misunderstand it and act poorly because of that. So, but a healthy ego can manage those impulses, honor them, know, which, you know, know where they fit and kind of do that. But it's also managing on the other side of it, why I said it's in the middle is there's a socialized mind or sense of self as well. So if you think of, uh, you know, uh, the, the standard, uh, a wife comes out to a husband and says, how do I look in this? He may think internally to his private egoic self, like, "Ugh, I hate that shirt. But what he might say is, you look beautiful, honey, right? So there's a, there's a game that we're playing to socialize and to start talking in the world, um, uh, which uh, is actually called the justification system. It's, it's this uh, part of language where because other humans are there, we're deeply concerned with what do they think? Am I safe? How do I get them to like me? What's my social capital? And that's actually the the center of culture and, and how we start to function together, which makes us human over other animals. So 
in any case, to, to not get too all over the place, the ego is that center management inner dialogue about where, where your sense of self, where your identity is really kind of living. Uh, and our identity isn't as uh, permanent as we tend to think it is. It's a very malleable, growable thing. Uh, however, if we just leave it done kind of unconsciously, we end up taking on patterns and ways of being and habits that that really don't match what our conscious desires are and who we really want to be in the world. So cleaning that up and, and healthily shifting that and giving a whole new perspective to how to manage ego and identity and behavior and feelings and all that stuff is at the heart of the work that I do. I love that. And, and I love your explanation of ego and stuff. I always tell people, cause I, I my background's in energy medicine. And when I first got into that whole world, it was all like you're saying, transcend the ego, ego's your enemy. You got to break down ego and all these other things. And I did that for a while. Then I found out that the ego is actually smarter than me. Um, it knows my weaknesses. <laughs> and so I'm like, no matter what move I make, it's, it's going to know what I'm doing. But then I, I realized uh, I came across a law that said, you know, the universe doesn't make anything it doesn't need. Neither does nature. Neither does the body. And I was like, so ego has to be something else. And as soon as I started asking that question, it was a whole different world of like, wow, this is actually like my best friend. In a certain degree, like I, you want to keep it in a certain realm, but um, I was like, I can learn from it and it can actually help me grow and it can help me well, evolve. Let's, let, let's do this. Let's do this. It's actually you. Yeah. Right. So it's the, think about how we talk about it, right? As if there's, and there is, we end up in a dialogue with ourselves, right? We end up with that inner narrative that's having a conversation with itself. Um, I don't want to oversimplify uh, some parts of really maladapted psychology, but you know, you might imagine that if we start to take those parts of self too seriously, we end up with deep divides in ourselves, which might even start to look like mul multiple personality disorder in some sense, right? Um, a healthy ego is a really integrated sense of self that knows that, you know, as the witness at the core here, I have you know human drives, I have desires, I have these things. In a spiritual context, I, I'm capable of transcending them and, and, and being, you know, egoless, giving, loving, you know, um, honestly, really to just listen in a conversation. The beginning of quote unquote transcending self is the difference between a conversation where when you're talking, I'm going, what am I going to say next? And I don't agree with that. And there's all this inner dialogue while you're talking. But the beginning of transcending self is really me dropping my self narrative to truly listen to you try to model in my mind what you're saying. And, and, and that's me really giving myself over to you to listen to you, right? So we're capable of transcending self, you know, in, in at least the beginning of that, if we're capable of even listening to somebody, right? So, but then we start to realize that if, if ego is not the, the focus, if I'm actually really captured in what I'm doing, whether that's accounting or basket weaving or shagging flies on a baseball field, you tend to lose self. And we start to understand that as states of flow, right? I don't know where the time went. It was, I just was captured by the activity. And in a sense, subjectively, there really is no you in that moment. There's almost just the task or just the, the, the action that's happening, right? That's another, so if we talk about like ego being there, you know, uh, parts of things like narcissism and, and, and some of the um, pathologies of mind are, kind of maybe an ego that won't go away or an inner voice that just won't shut up and no uh, ability to, to open up the other parts of the mind that are connected to experiencing things like just the phenomenology of your breath, right? Like 
if you learn to meditate, part of that is having a different relationship with thinking and putting down thought to have more and more skill of just coming into the experience of breath and what your body sensation is. And literally a whole different part of your brain starts to light up if you do that, which for most of us, because we're caught in thought and time all the time, modeling, modeling, thinking, thinking, you know, anxious about the future, guilty about the past, right? Just dancing in that, that part of the brain that's good at connecting and being in pleasure states and understanding how nice it can be just to walk down the hallway, that begins to for a better, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, atrophy, right? It doesn't become, it's not as capable a skill. Um, you know, we could think about it for some people, if you think about, you know, making love with somebody you care about, if you're doing that, but you're super anxious, what are they thinking about me? What's going on? Like, are they enjoying this? What should I do next? Whatever's happening, right? That's not a connected uh, experience. That's a thinking experience and one that starts to fire off all these anxious, overwhelmed experiences and, and emotions and whatnot versus just being present, really, you know, feeling the feelings and really uh, whatever, tasting the tastes and smelling the smells and just, you know, being in your sensation of the moment without an inner critic in those moments, right? Those are examples of uh, what I'm talking about when I say the beginning of transcending self. And then at the higher ends of transcending self, it really can start to look like enlightenment experiences and really just a, a, a true dissolution of self. But, but to say that anybody ever, like including the Buddha or anyone, has permanently done that, it's just not the point and it's not the case. And I think that's a misunderstanding of what self-transcendence really is. I agree with you hundred percent on everything. I mean, it's just, it, it's one of those things and it, it, it kind of tie it up. Would you say it's more like just being 100% present in that moment? That is so presence, right? Time is a, is, is a very real cultural thing and time goes by and all those things, but subjectively time is only accessed through modeling and thought, right? We can only imagine the future. We can only imagine or try to remember the past, uh, we know how bad our memory is as humans. It's, you know, it's, it's not really a trustable thing. So if I invited you to remember when you were 10 years old, a specific event, you would probably have to reconstruct some of that. You, might, you wouldn't be able to maybe go to the certain day. You know, there's a bit of a creation, just like there's a creation of what three years from now might look like. And so the real tangible isness of being is happening right in this moment. And so developing a capacity of mind to put down time and just be present is deeply powerful because that is where all uh, joy lives. That's where delicious taste of food lives, right? That's where a real laugh lives. And a, a story that I tell to illustrate what we often do when we're having a great time is we leave the experience of having a great time. And we go into like, how can I capture this? How can I, what do I have to do in thought to make sure this happens more again in the future? And that's like being around with friends, you're having dinner, everyone's laughing and you all of a sudden have this realization and you become self-aware like I'm just having a blast. If you don't have a good muscle of presencing, what is a very natural next step is to go, how do we do this again, guys? Like, you know, let's set up a schedule to, uh, you know, meet every Saturday and we should do, and it's this, we'll recreate this moment. And that moment is not a thing that's recreatable. And what you just did was you kind of ruined the moment because you're inviting everybody to model and plan and think about time and stop the laughing and the connecting that is the actual experience of the moment. And so I'm not saying never model or plan, but being better at knowing the difference between those things and not just following modeling and planning and getting quote unquote lost in thought and instead having more agency and mastery over where's my attention? 
Can I be present? Can I use my mind? It's almost like um, moving thought down into the tool that it can really be for us using thought consciously instead of being lost in thought, which somebody caught in depression is just ruminating over something horrible that they can't stop thinking about. Somebody else is anxious over a date coming up and they can't stop thinking about that, right? This lack of being able to kind of stop the torrent of, of thinking and the meaning making that we're doing uh, is part of our own collective delusion right now. And uh, there are tools that can very quickly help you get better at that. Would you say because of, well, would you say just in general um, <clears throat> from life and how we're living a very, you know, intelligent uh, or intellectual era where it's just constant bombardment of information, information era, you have access to it all the time. You have it on your phone. Now you can get access to anything pretty much on your phone. Um, is that helping us be more present or is that actually pulling us farther away? What do you think? I think it's the second, the latter. <laughs> Based on my, my experiences on mindset and also being a chiropractor, what I'm seeing from a health side is just, it's, it's not fun. Yeah, we are, we are uh, approaching a deep meaning crisis. It's, there's so much information and so many platforms and so many places and so many people talking. We don't know how to um, organize it, trust it. You know, we're, we're starting to come up with narratives like fake news. Uh, you know, we, we, all our institutions are in some way beginning to fail us on the trust scale, right? So when we talk about truth and trust, part of this is this relates back to beliefs. Like what do we believe to be real and to be valuable, right? What do we value? What matters? And so it has only been a handful of years that we've all been talking to each other. And so this is a very new phenomenon, you know? Um, a couple hundred years ago, there was about a billion people on planet Earth, and we'd never been more than a billion people. And the uh, technological energy, all of these revolutions that we've had through the Industrial Revolution up to current has made an explosion of abundance so that we've grown to almost 8 billion people. Um, you know, in many cases, you know, hunger isn't the issue it used to be. We've got technologies that can feed all of us in all these ways. Now, whether that's sustainable or not, it's a whole different conversation. But there's this massive abundance of, uh, of things. We're now moving into a digital age where we have automation and forms of AI and all these different things. But we have this deluge of this ever-growing um, amount of data to try to decide what is the most important thing. And so here's another deep failure in the current average you know, adult human mind. Uh, it's very difficult to not follow the peptide addiction of just scrolling on Instagram, right? With, unless you know what your impulses are and you have a little bit more what I call self-mastery, the ability to not do what's immediately fun for some bigger idea in the future, right? Mastering your, yourself and your impulses to some degree. Uh, that is a, a foundational skill in choosing to eat differently or deciding to work instead of, you know, watching Netflix all day or whatever those things are. And uh, the overwhelm and amount of information without a real uh, information ecology that's helpful and trustable, we are uh, being swarmed. We're falling into echo chambers where we're only hearing, you know, people that agree with us. Uh, part of that is the algorithms that hold our attention online. And we're not really thinking through any of this deeply enough to address it at the level that would uh, be really helpful. Although I'm, you know, uh, I and others like me are, are working on that. Like we're trying to think about what's the best way forward. And part of this, again, is 
uh, developing yourself, right? Doing human adult development in a meaningful way uh, so that you have different skills of attention, different meaning-making abilities, different belief structures. And, uh, and when I say that, I don't mean changing your beliefs unless it's clear to you that that's optimal. I'm not saying you have to take on my beliefs. I'm not selling a set of beliefs. I'm giving you the structure so that you can get rid of erroneous beliefs and take on more meaningful, useful beliefs. You're telling people, you're teaching people how to think instead of what to think. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, so, that's, um, so it's, okay, go ahead. No, it's just, it's, it's, it, that's the deep distinction between like selling a religion or selling a certain ideology or like, why can't everybody just think like this? It's not, it's not that we need to all think one way. It's that we all need a higher level of being able to think. And that's actually really available to us. And there's very clear reasons why that's so difficult and why people are left just in, in so many cases, either you know, having habits that they just can't break, you know, whether that be food or addiction or drinking, whatever, whatever those things are, or uh, you know, uh, of, of attention and focus. They just can't you know, uh, wrangle in their focus and really do meaningful deep work because they're constantly taking in new information and trying to make meaning out of it. And by the time the end of the day comes, they're deeply exhausted. And yet they've done nothing meaningful that was on their to-do list that mattered to them. Uh, our set of values of what matters to us is becoming very confusing and clouded. And it's very difficult to decide you know, what really matters to us. And we'll say the loudest thing in the moment of whatever's happening on social media because we're, we've become more followers rather than leaders in a sense. And that's a, that's a big claim that I could get into why I said that. But I, I don't want to start giving opinions, but I'm you know, there are reasons to this complexity being difficult now. And the scary thing, and I'm not a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a deep optimist. I think that we can face these and change and grow, but we also have to be a realist. We have to look at what's happening. Um, many people's lives right now are so lovely that they almost can't feel the real decoherence that's happening. And we've had so much abundance and high function of capitalism and uh, energy and technology and all the things that, that I'm saying that has built us up to this, you know, fairly successful earth right now. But we've got deep problems that are the potential to ruin what we've built is becoming easier and easier. And it's actually tending toward being inevitable if we don't make some fundamental changes in our way of being, in our sense of how we relate to others, um, this concept of us versus them right? If we just do that blindly, we can be talked into going to war and murdering people and it's okay. And we're celebrated when we get home, which is in our current culture, that makes sense. You're talking about war veterans, like, of course. But if you really think about what it is to be human and realize that we're all one species, that's a sickness, right? There's a sickness that we're even still going to war. So I don't mean to get all weird about that. That might be uh, too far ahead, but there really is a way to wake up where things like that don't make sense anymore. And more, you know, cooperative, how do we thrive? How do we find sustainable structures that work uh, becomes the better thing to think about and the better thing to do rather than just, I'll take your resources and use power to stop you from taking mine and that kind of infighting. The same kind of infighting that we would want to stop in like a family unit, we need to figure out on the global stage, you know, with, with all of us participating together in, in one set of goals, if that makes sense.
No, and it makes perfect sense. I mean, we, we, you can see the polarization so easily on like social media so much. I mean, me being a chiropractor and in my point of view and, and, and where I'm going to come from is usually sometimes most time against, not against, I don't like to say that, um, not going to follow the narrative uh, to a certain degree. And uh, maybe because it's just chiropractors, we've always been the outsiders when it comes to healthcare. Um, don't, you were start- own, don't you think that's its own narrative though? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There, there's definitely a programming to that in, in itself too. Like we have to be that way because this is how it was from day one, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a belief beyond that and seeing it that way. Um, but it, it's one of the things where, you know, this this whole echo chamber you brought up, I, I really, uh, I see that as a huge way to where, and, and, and I would love to get your opinion on this, where I personally believe, and for me, when I'm ever engaging in conversations, I like to know all sides because that's the way I learn and evolve. Mm-hmm. I, I want to know what's because not everyone's have the same opinion as me. I don't want to hear from all the other chiropractors that are like me because I'm not growing with that. Um, I'll like to hear from other sides so that I can see maybe I'm missing something. Maybe what's their story? What's their belief system? Right? What are we getting into to see that? Um, but in today's society, as you were saying, you know, the echo chambers, I, I think when we are getting more into this us versus them, we're getting in more to those, those aspects of just here's, I'm only going to listen to who people who are like me. Is that devolving in, uh, devolving the consciousness of the human being? We're not growing, we're not expanding out more in, in that way so that we can understand someone more. Yeah, it's actually segre- it's, it's separating us rather than bringing us together. It feels as though it's bringing us together with our tribe, but our tribes are shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And the, the extent to which they will shrink would be all the way down to the individual, right? To us all being in a, in a silo of, um, you know, I, I, I'm fully different than someone else in this way. So a lot of the identity politics or the echo chambers that we're finding ourselves in are based on you know, what I really consider to be very superficial characteristics about us that aren't meaningful at all. They're not about our character or our values. They're often about our skin color or our gender or whether we believe gender is a thing or, you know, some idea or, or feature of us rather than anything that's really uh, deeply important and meaningful uh, to somebody who's awake, right? <laughs> to somebody who's a, a little bit more uh, evolved. And, and so what happens is, you know, we saw this and I'll make this up. I don't know if it happened exactly like this. And if my facts are off, I'm, I'm really just making a point. So it doesn't matter. My accuracy here is not what I'm that interested in. But you, you could imagine that in the Me Too time, all of a sudden they put out a picture of all women CEOs somewhere. And I, I think something like this did happen. But if I get it wrong, I'm making a point, right? And so you could imagine that maybe, maybe there weren't enough people of color in that, like it was all women. And the point was women saying, hey, look at all these powerful women, right? And that's what they wanted to accomplish. But then some other group uh, gets offended by that and says, hey, that's not representative enough of people of color, right? So now it's, well, we've got to do people of color. And then you could see, and those both make sense, right? We, we realize there's, you know, there's, there's women power issues, there's people of color power issues. Like these are things where the progressives in us want to equate those powers, right? It's not a fair power structure thing. And so those are all really, really solid ideas. But what happens in the identity politic game is all of a sudden, maybe a little person goes, well, where's, where's the woman little person that is in that picture? And then uh, where's the little woman person of color that's in that picture? And then somebody's like, well, hey, I'm, I'm actually albino. Where's the albino CEO in that thing, right? And so 
it gets to where it becomes, you can't represent everything because we're all actually individuals, right? We all actually have these defining features. And so um, this is happening to us. It's not as much happening by us. And this is, has, I, I think, a little bit to do, at least in the social media aspect of this, with what is gaining our attention and what we tend to stay on page for and like for and do that. And so the algorithms, whether it's being consciously done by the companies, engineered to do so, or just because it's following our interest, you know, we tend to interact with things that make us really angry and go, I don't like them. And then we start to gather with other people who go, I agree, I don't like them either. And now we're grouping together. And so I'm starting to see more people like me that I'm saying yay to in the feed, right? And so it starts to hone down what the algorithm is choosing to put in my attention. So it's not this, it's not 30 years ago where we had, you know, basically one narrative across three stations when you got the nightly news and we were all at least watching one story, even though it was probably incomplete and not real truth or anything, but it was at least one narrative that we could all look at. Now you have an, uh, an approaching infinite set of narratives, whether you're you know, on the, on the dumpster fire that might be a Twitter argument or you're watching your Facebook feed, listening to local moms talk about something or whatever. And each of those, because our brain is malleable, because we literally are making meaning and interacting with everything around us all the time, those narratives are constantly changing us. They're constantly batting away at our opinions and our belief structures and all that stuff. And so the, the enlightened move here is to start to put down more of those differences and actually look for like, where are we similar, right? To start to say, in what way are we an us instead of a us versus them? And so, you know, I, I have a model where, and this isn't mine, I, I stole it from somewhere, but uh, it's, it's this uh, identification with what's, you know, inside versus outside in, in a sense. And can I walk you through that really quickly? Because I think it'll help with some of this. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So, you know, we're sort of born and maybe there's no self at the beginning, right? There's, I don't really have a sense of self. And then some, somewhere along the way, I'm, I become a little bit self-referential, but I'm also dependent on parent and mom and caregiver, right? So there's a, almost like a, a, a dependency. Maybe that goes into a codependency, but you, you can imagine that as I'm growing up, there's a sense of us uh, in the family. Whereas like if I went to school and somebody punched my brother, in a sense, he's punched me because he's punched my family, right? There's this sense of us versus them. And then we could kind of pop out of that us into maybe the level of our school when we go to a rival football game and all of a sudden we're yelling at the other side and we're cheering for our side, right? Because now we're identifying with us maybe up at the level of school. And then we could imagine, you know, wow, you said you're, I think, from Chicago, right? I'm from Philadelphia. Well, that would feel different if we were in, a, in an airport in America uh, somewhere because that would be different. We would identify as different cities, right? But if we were in Amsterdam and bumped into each other, we'd both be Americans. So we could uh, get together on that usness of of coming from the United States in some sense, right? And so if you think about this, you know, people in maybe a gang in uh, East LA or something really never begin, never expands that sense of self, that sense of us, what's interior to them, uh, past like three square blocks that is their turf. And everything outside that, even some things in that that maybe aren't in their gang, are other, right? The police are other, the national, uh, the country's other, everything's other except my gang, my boys, my homies, right? And that's a, that's a stopping of that expansion of 
identifying with, I'm a part of this bigger thing than me, right? If it were to stop at family, you could see maybe a, a really dysfunctional um, person with you know, maybe brain damage or some genetic thing that's got them uh, mentally challenged in some way. Maybe they could never really get past like family. That's it. That's their biggest expanse of who they are. But if we talk on the other way, right, there's a healthy thing where we become, we're probably now averaging about nationalistic at, at the expanse of where we go. Not too many people really think globally, right? Really deeply identify globally. But, you know, we could imagine that if meaningfully a, a, a spaceship came down from another world, we might all decide, and we, we, it could fracture us and break us apart too, but there, there's a possibility there that we would really just identify as, oh, wow, wow, we're human, they're alien, we have to come together in, in some new way. And that's literally a shift in your sense of us, right? Sense of self to a certain degree, like at what capacity am I going out? So us versus them is this constant in-group, out-group uh, power dynamic. How do we survive? How do we thrive? How do we win? Is our family as good as their family? Is my city as good as that city? Is my nation as good as that nation? Right? There's this implied confrontation between what is us and what is them. But what we can do in our consciousness is really expand it out and go, what if, what if all of it was us? Right? What if every human was us? If we just really ground in and it's not absurd, we can at least theoretically start to think, well, we're all at least human right? When I look at that, I go, well, we've all got fear. We've all got desires. We've all got, you know, all these things. And, and just taking on that perspective and really owning, what if, it, what if it all was us? We could take that further. And now we're getting into maybe a, a weird enlightenment space. But you can start to say, what if all sentient beings are us? What if, you know, all the cows that are in factory farms, you know, we might think of them very differently if we realize, wow, we're a part of you know, this, this bigger thing, which is earth. What if all of earth was us, right? What if everything I'm looking at and walking in was uh, something that I'm not separate from, but that I'm, a, that I'm in, you know, concert with, that I'm a part of, that it's all us. And that could actually extend all the way out to a universal view of there is no them, right? It, it could literally just all be us. And so at a, at a functional level of imagine going into a party, if you feel really separate, right? These are enemies, these are others, these aren't, people that I trust or I care about, you're going to be looking for and probably experiencing a whole different party than that exact same party with the mindset of like, I'm so glad to be here. I'm a part of this. This is me. This is us, right? I, even if I don't know anyone, we're all human. I can, I can meet these people, right? So there's a, a totally different experience just by shifting that level of, of uh, self-identification with what us and them means. I love how the, the whole explanation on that. I mean, it's a lot of times I always say we're, we're humanity. You're human. The, I like the aspect of like, yeah, if we were in Europe, like, Hey, we're Americans, you know, and right. then compared to like, but if we go to another we planet, very close, right? We yeah. We'll be really connected. Close. It'd be like, Hey man, like, you know, we have culture, we have language, we have some things that, that we would immediately lean on, but in our own country, we wouldn't, we wouldn't give it that power or force, right? We wouldn't, we wouldn't look at each other that way necessarily. And I always find that so fascinating how there's that divide of that, you know, yeah. uh, and, and so much. And, and, but then again, taking it even further, like if you're on another planet, you, I wouldn't care what part of that planet you're, what part of the planet or earth you're from. I, I don't yes. care what city, whatever. You're human. We're you're humans. Earthy. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We're, we're, yes. We bond instantly right there. Totally. And so can we see that a really highly functioning world and society would need us to resonate at a level of us instead of 
this thing. Now, there's a survival impulse in the us versus them, right? When we were uh, stoning each other and throwing each other off of cliffs, and you know, which I guess we still do today, and with more tools and more technology to do it. But um, you know, evolving us past that impulse of um, I need this berry bush, you can't have it, so it's okay me hitting you in the face with an axe so that I can eat, right? That competitive. Uh, uh, tribalism kind of way of being, which is really showing itself online today, right? We're having these echo chambers, which you could just call different tribes, right? Different tribes of I'm right, no, I'm right, no, I'm right, no, I'm right, you know, and uh, whoever's the biggest group and gets the loudest and, and you know, uh, it can just bully the other group or whatever. And none of that is coming from a place of us, right? It's all coming from a place of us versus them. And so if we're not conscious of that, if we don't even know that that's a malleable thing, that we can take a different attitude. Um, now, you don't want to take the attitude. It can't be the loser game, right? You can't just go in to a gunfight uh, and successfully say, hey, I'm not shooting everybody. You, you still might get shot, right? So there's this management until we can really enlighten ourselves and really get to a new place, which I think could be very fast. Uh, as soon as we decide to do it, we can do it. Um, but in reality, it's probably going to take time. And so there's going to be bad actors for a while. So how do we, the, the part of the wisdom game is how do we act like that, come from that so that we can find compassion, we can do the right thing. And then also realize that until all of us or more of us are playing this, some, some you know, amount of people that tips the, that we get to a tipping point where this really becomes more a way of being, how can I still, you know, thrive in my thing now? So if I, if I say, eventually, I think we're going to evolve past money right? Uh, that there will just be a sharing thing and just whether that's right or wrong, it doesn't matter. But let's imagine that to be true. It, it doesn't serve me to just give away all my stuff now because that's not, that's not matching what the society is, is doing. So I will very quickly be homeless and hungry if I'm not still kind of playing the money game. But starting to play with how we think about money and how we think about exchange and how we think about us versus them is deeply important. And rather than it being something that's holding you back where, well, money's bad and I'm not going to make any money or whatever would be a really unhealthy mindset to have, we can take on these really powerful mindsets that help us relate to what is really well and helps us uh, shepherd in and foster the new, you know, the, the new next thing that we so deeply need. Because as I mentioned before, we are beginning to deeply decohere, right? In our, in our uh, fractional, you know, us versus them as just one way to look at that. That's so true. And with the whole bad actors thing, how much, you know, cause there's people out there who are trying to do good and really trying to get out there and share their message and so forth. But they, people have heard so many of the bad actors that they came to a point. It's hard to know who to trust. And I know that's a belief system in itself, but it's just curious for those who are kind of in that place, which like, yes, I want to be able to trust something, but here's what my experience has been. Is it just a flip of a switch of the perspective? Um, is, it, is it depending on intuition to guide you into a certain way to trust that? Like how does that come about? No, so trust is actually, managing trust is, is a deep skill. It is not anything that we just want to switch a mindset and decide to trust people. There are people that deserve your trust uh, earn your trust, can keep your trust. Uh, and there are people that it would be a really bad move if you kept trusting them because they would be bad actors again and again and again on you. So this is not just a woo-woo, 
uh, let's just love everybody and feel good. I mean, you absolutely can love everybody and have compassion for them. But the amount that you open to intimacy, the amount that you open your pocketbook to somebody, the amount that you trust them uh, to do what they say, that is, a, that is actually a, a wisdom tool, not, not just a, a decision or, or a mindset to, to shift, if that makes sense. So truth and trust, what is true in the meaning-making game that we're doing is uh, we're seeing a crisis in meaning-making now. We're seeing a meaning crisis. So even down to what's most important, who can I trust, which information is valid, and navigating that is a, is a set of skills that is uh, very learnable and very doable, uh, but it is, it, is a, it is the act of becoming more wise in how you're making meaning, understanding your own beliefs and understanding the beliefs of others so that you can see when somebody's talking about something that may be nonsensical. A lot of people could say something that's nonsensical, but they could say it so convincingly and so confidently that it would trigger a lot of our automatic responses to really trust them, to follow them as a leader. Wow, they're bold. They seem strong. They really know something. But if we can't understand that, oh, what they said just there was just a belief, but they're treating it as a fact, that's a, that's a shortcut move that we need to learn to look for so that we can uh, really discern when somebody actually knows what they're talking about or whether they're either lost in their own delusion or they're a bad actor or they're, you know, they're consciously doing uh, something that's, that's uh, messy. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, especially with COVID and everything going on. It's been very interesting to see the statements that are made. And I get curious when I see statements and I'm like, okay, where's, where, where are you getting that source from or where is the research or where, you know, and it's always, it's always fascinating to see the responses I'll get. And I'm just curious because it's like, I'm like, wow, that's going against everything I've been reading, but maybe I missed something. Let me, let me ask. And it's always fascinating. Yeah. And so that level of complexity is beyond the amount of time, energy, attention, and skill of most adult human beings now, which is why when we really get down to it, most people are saying what they heard recently, treating it as fact uh, and, and just kind of parroting it and influencing other people around them. And, you know, we hope that that tends toward being right and useful, uh, but very often it doesn't, right? Very often it's, it's not based in, in fact at all. And so understanding what real knowledge is and the different kinds of knowledge, this gets, you know, this is, I don't mean to get so geeky and, and deep on the psychological stuff, but there's, there's different kinds of knowing, right? There's different domains of, of the universe. And so uh, somebody who's maybe a scientific realist, they get captured by the evidence and the testability of something and the reality of something. And I'm not discounting that because that deeply matters. Evidence is one of the most uh, biggest markers for uh, truth and trust, right? Like, has somebody looked at the evidence? Am I able to look at the evidence? Do we trust that evidence? And continuing to look at it more and more deeply. That's what is so powerful about science. But science only touches the objective realm. So everything that's outside you is an object. That's, that's your objective reality. And it's very real. It's what we work in and walk around in every day. But there's a whole other aspect of your reality, which is your subjective realm, which is where like things like your experience of the world goes. None of that is objectifiable because it's not available to anybody but you. That doesn't mean that it's not true for you personally, right? So your personal truth of what's happening internally, science can't touch that. You know, psychology tries to, but not in an evidence-based, not, not in the way that science uh, 
has its proof and its its way of you know it, science is so brilliant externally because people are set up to challenge the theories of others and disprove them as like that's the function of it is to not just believe it and take a theory and go oh that sounds great let's move forward but everybody's job is then to hack away at it and either discount it completely or make it more true by the refinements of the process of the scientific method. Like that's why that's valuable. And that's so valuable and it's led to so much technology that many people think that's the only kind of knowledge, right? But a, but a real understanding of what's happening internally in our motivations, in our unconscious drives, in our unconscious belief systems, in our patterns, those are not available to all of us. And so that blend of subjective and objective takes a certain wisdom to manage that because another big driver of truth and trust is authority. We just can't know all of the facts. There's not, a, there's not enough time, you know, even in this moment, if you were to take all the data points of everything around you, it's beyond what you're capable of even perceiving, let alone understanding in any meaningful way. And so if I have a house and the corner of the house is in a sinkhole and it's affecting the structure of my house, I don't want to have a democratic solution to that. I don't want to ask the neighborhood what they think I should do because there may not be an expert in that. You know, it's not just the more minds or better minds necessarily. I want an engineer. I want an architect. I want expertise who's going to tell me, oh, wow, here's the structural problem. Here's how we shore this up, right? And I have to trust, right? That's where we start to get into reviews and like, what are our systems of trusting these experts who are saying things? And so, but there's so many shortcuts to get us to believe shenanigans, quite honestly, like someone just wearing a doctor coat on a commercial, you know, tends to influence, influence us to believe them because we tend to believe doctors because we know that there's a lot of education there and all that. But I assure you, there's a lot of bad doctors. There's a lot of uh, selfish narcissistic doctors. There's a lot of doctors that are, there's a lot of actors that are playing doctors on TV that aren't really doctors, right? And so our own skill to navigate, is this guy really trustworthy as an authority? You know, how do I know that? Uh, at what point is it useful just to move forward and believe it rather than, you know, get over concerned about it? But also, how do I turn off the noise so that I'm not listening to, um, every single idea that comes my way uh, because I, I, I can only focus on what's meaningful and useful to me. So how do I you know, edit my feed, edit my time online, really check in with the news sources that I do trust, talk to people that I trust their minds, and then start being, being, taking in more of those perspectives that you're talking about. Because I think you said before, you want to look at all perspectives. And I would suggest that it may be more true that you want to look at all reasonable <laughs> perspectives, right? I don't think you want to be laden with hours and hours and hours of absolute nonsense that is, you know, bordering on insane. You don't want to continue taking those perceptions in. Like, that's just not useful. Like, we don't have time for that. So um, in this meaning-making crisis, we have, you know, Betty Sue next door who's telling us all about 5G and we've got this guy over here. And, you know, how do we, how do we make meaning out of that? We need a new level of skills. And that's, that's at the heart of uh, what this process that I work on does as well. I love it. And I love the, just the whole, the, the, the sharing and you can geek out anytime. I'm a big geek in this myself. So <laughs> cool, cool. I, I'm like trying to stay back here. Like, Oh, I can go hours on him with this, but <laughs> it, it's one of those things where, I mean, like, you know, one of the, one of my speaking uh, coach, coaches was always used to say, your experience is your experience. No mm -hmm. one else can judge that. Nobody else can take that away from you. That is your experience. Yeah. 
And I, I love when you bring that up and, and sharing all that. And then of course, yes, all reasonable perspectives is definitely the thing I'm looking at. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Or, and, and all is probably still too many, as many as you can get to. So, you, yeah. you know, perspective was a thing that you brought up. I, I want to, one of the skills of evolving consciousness is the ability to hold paradox. And so part of this is this problem with truth and trust. So from any position as a human, if I'm literally just looking out, I'm trying to make meaning from everything I can sense and see and hear, right? Whether that's information coming off the computer or I'm walking down the street and something's happening. Like the job of my brain is to make sense of what's happening, but also to be considering everything that I know all of my episodic memories of my personal experiences, all of my factual memories about what I know about the world, about what distance is, you know, like uh, this is this complex inner and outer mashup that my brain has to deal with to decide what's true or useful or something to go forward. Because if we had to get to actual truth, we'd never be able to move at all because the analysis, there's too much data to analyze. Like we'd never get off the internet. We'd be reading every page to see everything before we can make a decision. So at some point we have to say, that's enough information. I can move forward. I know what I value and I'm going I'm to intelligently move forward in this direction. And that's becoming more and more and more difficult all the time. But that, that skill of deciding from here, what am I seeing? What most of us do is we take that what we know about the world to be true. Like I can see the real world. And what's really actually much more mature than that is realizing you see a very partial world. You see only from your own perspective. And that perspective is, is vast. It's got all your old opinions, your beliefs, the whole, the whole stack of you, right? But from what I'm looking at now, I don't have all the information. I'm halfway trusting this guy who's an authority. I'm trusting the evidence that I'm hearing over here. I'm using those to make my meaning up. And that's giving me what we could just call my perspective, right? This is going to be my truth in this moment. Well, one of the biggest problems that we have as humans is when we're arguing that my truth is the whole truth, that I know better than you do in every way, right? And so, you know, there you could see like a Democrat and a Republican just ready to shoot each other because of like, how can't you see that what you're doing is ruining the whole world? And the other one feels the exact same way. Uh, but in an opposite, what they're attached to, right? And in actuality, if we really went through in a more calm sense what those people agreed on, it would probably way outweigh what they're actually disagreeing on. And there's a way to navigate that in a much better way. But we get slammed down into this meaning making of our own perspective being true. And so things like integral theory, Ken Wilber's work talks about this partial truth concept that it's way more accurate to realize that I only have partial truth. And that every perspective has partial truth. And so this is where paradox starts to come in. From here, this fact looks true, right? But from a different perspective, the world changes enough and the data changes enough. And maybe there's something I didn't see or know where at a different level and a different kind of gradation, some other thing is true, right? So, you know, um, uh, this is good for our relationship, but it's bad for me. And, you know, I, that's not the best example, but we end up in these conflicts where it's like, well, if I consider it this way, it's the best thing to do. But if I consider it this other way, it's another way to do. And to a mind that's trying to lock down into one truth, that's really overwhelming and exhausting. But to an evolved mind that can hold paradox, that can say, this is partial true and I can see why it's partially true. I get that perspective, but I also get this perspective and I also get that perspective. Now we're taking those multiple views and we're getting a much more complete view 
of the universe of quote unquote truth. We're never going to get all of it. We don't have all perspectives, all data, all levels. That's why we really can't wholly speak to truth, truth, right? Like truth with a capital T, because that's, we just don't have access to that. But we do have a meaningful access to more and more perspectives. And we can do that even within ourselves. So if I'm having a conversation with somebody who's really slammed down into their position politically, and let's say I'm tending to feel on the other side of that, but I have access to more perspectives, I can consider their perspective, see the truth in it, and maybe walk them out into a new way of seeing because I can hold the truth of, let's say, a liberty argument you know, on one side and a social argument on the other. I can say, hey, both of those are true, right? Liberty and individual freedoms deeply matter, but so does the we space and social issues. They matter too. And they're not in opposition. They actually have to be made to be coherent together in a way that's meaningful, right? Well, now I sound probably more logical, probably more calm, probably more mature, and probably more capable of actually fixing solutions longer term than somebody who's just so sure that, you know, it's this one issue and you don't get it, everyone else is the devil, and they're becoming irrational because they're, they're deeply connected to their truth as the whole truth. Yeah, I think that's, that's a huge problem I see in the spaces where you get that whole truth kind of perspective compared to just realizing that you're only one small, tiny piece of that pie. Yeah. And it's a lot smaller than what you think it is. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the other thing, too, is about being human is I think that's part of the game of life, being human, having that human experience is we can't have that full 360 degree perspective. Totally. Our brain, our nervous system is not designed and our brain isn't either to take on that. And you can, I've tried many times meditating, going to different spaces and dimensions you know, I can look it out there, but uh, to try to get as high as I can. And I always hit a, I hit a roadblock every time. Um, and I just realized that I, there's only a certain level I can go to, but that's just part of the process. And then, t- then it, it had kind of shifted my life to be more of then um, being more understanding to hear as many, you know, again, going back to that whole, hear as many perspectives as I can so I can try to get as much as a pie as I possibly can. Yeah. So let, let's think about this. The objective world, if we're even to consider the whole, right, you, could, you can consider the universe and we just say, okay, that's the whole thing, right? Well, science could then introduce, yeah, but that's only one universe. There's lots of universes. In fact, there's infinite universes. And all of a sudden your, your brain is breaking trying to keep up with that, right? So there's little games you can play with that kind of stuff. But any of that modeling of the whole is a thought. It's another imagination. It's not actually connected to reality because your reality consists of a point of view. And so um, people think like, you know, I am Rob, right? That's what I am. But I'm actually, Rob's a bit of a construction. Rob is based in maybe a little bit of this body, a little bit of this belief structure, a little bit of that ego function of self and self-narrative and what matters to me. But if I really break it down, that, that backing up of consciousness, it's like, well, who knows Rob is here? And I can start to objectify Rob, even the idea of Rob, and move that from subjective experience out and objectify it. And I'm backing up my consciousness further and further back. And as soon as I see, well, who's seeing that that question is like, well, who's, who said that, right? And I can back up. And what you find is there's this infinite loop where what we might just call is what's at the very, very bottom is this thing that we might call witnesser, right? Or, or, or the one who's capable of seeing, the one who is conscious, the one, you know, whatever. But it's not, it's not a person. It's not an individual. It's a, it's a capability of being awake, right, in a sense. And it's at, at its very base level, it's just having these experiences, right? And what's stacked on top of that is, you know, our own personal memory function, our own uh, 
uh, sense of self that we're creating. You know, one way to think about identity is it's a continued narrative that you're telling yourself about yourself, right? And so when you hear it that way, it's like, oh, maybe that is something I could deeply edit pretty quickly and change. But if we just think about it as like, no, it's, it's this body and it's this point of view and it's this witnesser and it's, so it's permanent. There's nothing I could change here. But you change all the time. Becoming a parent deeply changes your sense of self. You know? You're not the same as you were when you were five years old. You're not the same as you were when you were 20. You know, you're not the same as you were before you were a chiropractor, right? We're taking on these aspects and these qualities that, that deeply change us. And yet there's still that, <clears throat> that sameness to us, which is that witnessing sort of back end that is our point of view. And so managing that paradox of like, well, I'm not any of these identity things really. It's this evolving thing. I'm more of like a process than a permanent thing. And yet there's still this center point of view that, that I have in my experience subjectively, which is really, really interesting. And so when we start to tweak some of those things, some of the stories that make up who you are, give you real access to that direct consciousness thing without judgment and without filter so you can have these deeper, happy experiences and we don't need uh, as much Zoloft and alcohol, we can actually just feel uh, more, you know, uh, joy and gratitude and spiritually fulfilled, et cetera. Um, we really can change the game. And then what happens is on top of that, you can start to really take much higher level action, bring focus, bring self-mastery and, you know, uh, self-transcendence in, in really profound ways. I love that. Couldn't agree more with you, brother, on all this. I feel like I could talk to you for another 22 hours <laughs> at least. Um, but, I, you know, I have to definitely can have you back on because just, we can just go on and on and on oh, with let's this. Let's do it for sure. Uh, yeah. For sure. Um, but before we go, um, real quick, how can people connect with you, see what you're up to, follow you and all that good stuff? Yeah, I think uh, home base is robscott.com. So you can find my current podcast. I've probably done three different podcasts over the many years. Uh, I've got a current one going on now called The Rob Scott Show. You can find it there. Uh, all my social links are there as well, but um, you can find me on the different platforms. I think I'm Rob underscore Scott on Twitter. I'm real Rob Scott on Instagram. Uh, you know, search me on Facebook, find me. I'm not sure exactly. I, my handle might be F shift there or something, but you'll, you can find me pretty easily on all the platforms and I love doing it. Uh, if anybody's specifically interested in identity shifting, they can go to identityshifting.com and learn more about that process. And uh, there's a mastermind that I run that takes people through that whole course. And it's uh, just deeply transformational and powerful. And there's testimonials on there and videos of people who are talking about what it does for them. And for all the listeners, I will have all these notes in the show notes there for you to connect with him. Um, Rob, this was a lot of fun. Uh, it was good to chat and dive deep, man. I appreciate your insights and your perspectives and everything you shared on the, the episode today. Vic, I had a great time. Thanks for letting me share it, man. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For past shows, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. I hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic 21. Follow us on Instagram, www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, Pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment podcast, sharing paths 
to help you rediscover your infinite potential. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.